in our lives give us a firm revelation and grasp of that love. Somebody say, love. Listen, God's love is huge because of the object of His affection. I saw on TV the other, the other day there, there's a new uh, 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 year or, or uh, um, series. It's not a new series, an old series, but they're bringing out a new season. That's, what it, that's the word I'm looking for, of The Bachelor. <laughs> now, personally, I, I don't watch The Bachelor because I don't want to throw up. But no, <laughs> no. If I, if I know, if, you're, if you watch it, it's all right. I'm not, I'm not attacking you tonight, but I was thinking about The Bachelor and, and the object of affection. That's the way it kind of goes in that show. And, and it, it's hard for me to imagine this 90-year-old toothless woman uh, vying for the affections of this 20-something buff guy on the show. I doubt seriously that's ever going to happen because he probably wouldn't be attracted to her. Just saying. God's love is huge because of the object of his affection. And when I'm talking about the object of his affection, I'm talking about you and me. Isn't that a mind-blower? Now, tell yourself or somebody, God's really attracted to you. I don't know if you've ever wondered about it, but I, I, I've wondered, and that is, God, what in the world do you see in me? This is no doubt why the Bible says his love passes knowledge. It's almost like saying, go figure. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we'll admit to a holy and perfect God in the natural, we're not all that desirable. At least our thought of that would be. I, I, that's kind of the way we think of ourselves. How could we be desirable <clears throat> to a perfect and holy God, right? Um, some of you remember years ago <clears throat> when... Uh, uh, Julia Roberts married Lyle Lovett. You remember that? <clears throat> now, I had a graphic, both of their pictures that I was going to put up here and, sh- and on the screen, but <clears throat> a lot of you know, you know, Julia Roberts is fairly attractive. Lyle Lovett is a probably really nice guy. But when you see them pictured together, you might wonder, you know, how long is that going to last? It didn't last very long. And I think, and I use that as an illustration, maybe kind of a crude illustration, but I use it as an illustration. It's probably the way a lot of us think about the possibility of a perfect and holy God loving us. We could wonder, how long is that going to last? Right? Well, I want to answer that question with God's own words out of Jeremiah 31, verse 3. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and therefore with loving kindness I have drawn you. 
See, there are two amazing statements in that verse. And first of all is that God's love is everlasting. That word everlasting means eternity, always, continuance, lasting, long time, perpetual at any time. Aren't you glad that God's love is perpetual? Aren't you glad that it's it's there at any time? We don't ever have to worry about God's love ever giving up, running out. It's long. It lasts forever. It is an everlasting love. And then it goes on to say, with loving kindness, it's God talking. He says, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. The initiative For us coming to God and getting to know Him and His love was with Him. We didn't didn't have to try to win God over. Thank God for that. He actually won us over, didn't He? That was the way it was back before I gave my life to Christ. Uh, I, I believed in Him. I believed in Jesus. I believed in God the Father. I believed in the Holy Spirit in my head. But I just didn't, it didn't affect my life much. Because I didn't know him. And I really didn't want to, in my teenage years, didn't want to have a whole lot to do with him because I thought he would cramp my style, (laughs) truthfully. And when the reality was, when I messed my whole life up and God came and through a preacher began to reveal his love to me, He was the one that drew me into himself, revealed his love to me, and I tell you what, I've been captivated by his love ever since because it wasn't just me trying to win God over. It was God who conquered my heart, your heart. The reason we came to him is because he drew us to himself. We are the objects of his affection. That's a mind-blower, isn't it? What's amazing about God's love is He loved us when we were unlovely. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is one of the hardest things for people to get about God's love, and that is how could God love me when I am like this, when I am messed up, when I am this. I don't know how many people over the years I've talked to uh, uh, about coming to church, and, and they'll, I've, I've had person after person, some mostly joking, others I think they were really kind of serious about it, but they say, well, I'd come to church, but the roof would fall in on me. Can I tell you something about that? If the roof was ever going to fall in on anybody, it would have fallen in a long time ago. God's love is so huge because he loved us when we were at our worst. Probably the biggest hindrance for us receiving God's love is we know we're unlovely. In our own, by ourselves, we are unlovely. We know this. It's hard to imagine how a perfect and a holy God who really knows us, I mean knows everything about us, could love us. And this is the very thing that makes God's love so huge. 
Romans 5, verse 8 again, God demonstrated the demonstration of God's own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, we may have been unlovely, but we were not unloved. And tonight you may be here and you may feel unlovely, but I'm telling you, you are not unloved. When we were unlovely, Jesus loved us. And the most hellish lies the devil tells are God doesn't love you or God doesn't care. Sometimes when we're stressed out, uh, when we feel vulnerable, or we are having money problems or, or health issue, or maybe it's we're dealing with our own failures or, or sin, Satan, during those times when we feel attacked and going through things, will lie and say, God doesn't love you. See, God doesn't love you. Or God doesn't care. And I pray tonight that every one of us hears this. That is such a lie. He loved us when we were at our worst. Romans 5 verse 10 says, For if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. (coughs) God doesn't love us reluctantly. Did you hear me tonight? God doesn't love us reluctantly. He doesn't love us because he has to. Okay, well, I guess I have to. Back when I was a kid, I I think I was about five years old. My mom had a friend coming over, and uh, this friend had a a boy that was my age, and she wanted to spend some time with this friend, talk with her and all, and so she brought her boy along. And my mom uh, told me, now you be nice to him when he comes. I didn't want to be nice to him when he came because he was kind of a wimpy kid and kind of boring, and I didn't. I just didn't want to. You know, five-year-old, I had my own ideas about who I wanted to be friends with, you know. But my mom told me I need to be nice to him, so I decided, I, 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 okay, I'll be, I'll be nice, you know. And I was. I was pretty nice to him, but the, it was boring. The only noteworthy thing that happened while he was there is that the the neighbor's chihuahua came over and bit this kid on the butt. (laughs) And they had to go home. I was so grateful to that little dog. (laughs) I was nice, but the chihuahua wasn't. Now, God isn't nice to us because he has to. He loves us because he wants to. Listen, he likes to love us. In Numbers 6, verse 25, in the New King James Version, it says, The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. In God's Word Version, it reads like this, The Lord will smile on you and be kind to you. The Lord will smile on you and be kind to you. But God's, when he looks at us, he smiles on us. We are the objects of his affection. 
over Christmas after after we had our Christmas Eve service that morning here that day, Cindy and I went to Flagstaff to be with the grandkids, uh, and we were there with uh, Maddie and JJ and Raven and and uh, Emma and Zane and Chase, and and we had a, a Christmas with those kids as a, a oh and. The, and uh, Laura, Dan, the son, and grand uh, and daughter, they were there, and you know they were they were there. <laughs> but and we lo- we love them, we love them, we 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 enjoy their coming. But it's the grandkids, you know. Any grandparent here knows what I'm talking about. When they are in the room, it makes our face light up. And you know that's exactly the picture of God's face. When he looks at us, his face lights up. We cause his face to shine. Now, I want you to tell yourself or somebody, you make God's face shine. Well, that was some of you. Amen. (laughs) I'm telling you tonight, I pray you do hear me. I am having some fun up here this evening, but I pray that the the uh, the the message gets through to you, and not just to your ears, but into your heart. You make God's face shine; that He will smile on us. See, God, the Bible doesn't say the Lord will scowl on us. It says He will smile on us. He doesn't love us reluctantly. He likes to love us. The Bible goes so far as to say God actually picked us. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 in the Amplified Version reads, Even as His love chose us, actually picked us out for Himself as His own in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, consecrated, and set apart for Him, and blameless in His sight, even above reproach before Him in love. Uh, do you remember when you were a kid, the, the pressure of being picked for a team? You, you chose up uh, uh, teams maybe for football or baseball or kickball or whatever you did in your neighborhood. And the, and the pressure, your whole uh, life revolved around and, and your, your self-image uh, was resting upon being picked for the team. And you know what? God, the Bible says, <clears throat> didn't accept us reluctantly. He chose us. He picked us for himself before the foundation of the world. Now, we can reject him and his love, but as far as God was concerned, he wanted us on his team as his family. In 1 John 3 verse 1, it says, See how very much our Father loves us for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. Thank God for that. He loved us, calls us his children, because that's who we are. We are loved unconditionally, without condition. We're not loved if we do this or that. We are loved, period. We're loved because God chose to love us, and somebody say, thank you, Jesus. God's love is huge because even when we have known that love and blown it, He still loves us. This is incredible. 
But even after we receive his love, and if we blow it, he still loves us. Jesus told the parable of the prodigal son, and somebody said that they think the story really should be known as the prodigal's father because the real story is the attitude of the father when the son came home. Probably everybody here knows the story. This son goes to his dad and says, I want uh, uh, everything uh, that, I, uh, that comes to me. I want my inheritance now. <clears throat> he goes out and he goes to a foreign land and wastes all the money, family money, and then he realizes he just needs to come home. Now, I, I read somewhere about Jewish culture of that day that if the son had actually done this, <clears throat> taken the family's money, wasted it, and then came home, the whole village would gather around that guy and they would take a pot and break it in front of him. And that pot broken in front would, would call attention to how he had broken his father's heart, how he had broken trust with his family and with the village, and that he had done something that was unfixable, could not be fixed, and he would be told to go and never come back because that he had broken something that could not be repaired. And so when Jesus, knowing that the culture was that day, when Jesus told the story of the son returning and what the father did, it would have completely blown everybody away by how the father reacted. In Luke chapter 15, verse 20, it says, But when he, the son, was still a great way off, he was coming home, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. See, before the village or anybody else could gather, gather around the son, before they could break a pot, or do anything of rejection to him. The father sees him a long way off, and the Bible says he ran. And that word ran that's used there is the uh, athletic term. It literally means he raced to his son, threw his arms around him, kissed him, and then his son begins to try to apologize. Father, I've sinned against heaven in your sight. And the father breaks in uh, to this son's rehearsed uh, repentance. It was from the heart, but he had more to say. But the father broke in and he said, uh, bring out a robe, bring a ring, and put some shoes on his feet and start up the barbecue because we're going to have a party. And that is how Jesus describes God's love for us. That even if we've messed up, even if we've known His love and blown it, He still loves us and wants to receive us. Isn't that wonderful? Aren't you glad to know that you don't have to worry about God rejecting you, breaking a pot? saying it's unfixable what you've broken, cannot be repaired, can't be fixed. Love of God passes knowledge, doesn't it? It's beyond, and see, that's why, and the devil tries to twist things and turn things to where we don't, are not able to comprehend 
God's love for us because it's too good to be true. Listen, the gospel is good news. It is almost too good to be true news, and yet it is true, and we need to believe the truth about God's love for us. If we do believe this, and I'm, I know this is a very simple, very basic message, but it is important for the new believer, it's important for the unbeliever, the person who hadn't gotten saved. It's important for the person who's just given their life to Christ. But I'm telling you, I've been a Christian since 1975, and this message still today is uh, of the most important messages I can receive from myself. I'm telling you, I'm getting probably more out of this message than anybody else here. I'm glad tonight. I am so glad to know that God loves me. God loves you. He loves us. And that love is powerful. Philip Yancey in his book called What's So Amazing About Grace told the following story. And this is kind of a long story. I am going to read it to you because it just reads better than I could <clears throat> tell it. But I want you to listen carefully tonight. This is... Uh, a, a powerful story of love. <clears throat> a young girl grows up on a cherry orchard just above Traverse City, Michigan. Her parents, a bit old-fashioned, tend to overreact to her nose ring and the music she listens to and the length of her skirts. This story is uh, happens uh, a number of years ago. They ground her a few times, and she seethes inside and says, I hate you. <clears throat> she screams at her father when he knocks on the door uh, of her room after an argument, and that night she acts on a plan she has mentally rehearsed scores of time, and she runs away. She's visited Detroit only once before on a bus trip with her church youth group to watch uh, a team play uh, because newspapers in Traverse City report in lurid detail the gangs, the drugs, and the violence in downtown Detroit, she figures that it is probably the last place her parents will look for her. California, maybe, or Florida, <clears throat> but not Detroit. Her second day there, she meets a man who drives the biggest car she's ever seen. He offers her a ride and buys her lunch and arranges a place for her to stay. He gives her some pills that make her feel better than she's ever felt before. She was right all along, she decide, <clears throat> decides her parents were keeping her from all the fun. <clears throat> the good life continues for a month, two months, a year, and the man with the uh, big car, she calls him boss now, and teach, he teaches her a few things that men like. Since she's underage, uh, men pay a premium for her. <clears throat> she lives in a penthouse and orders room service whenever she wants. Occasionally, she thinks about the folks back home, but their lives now seem so boring and provincial that she can hardly believe she grew up there. She has a brief scare when she sees her picture printed on the back of a milk carton with the headline, Have You Seen This Child? But by now, she has blonde hair, and with all the makeup and body-piercing jewelry she wears, nobody would mistake her for a child. Besides, most of her friends are runaways and nobody squeals in Detroit. After a year, 
the first sallow signs of illness appear, and it amazes her how fast the boss turns mean. These days, we can't mess around, he growls, and before she knows it, she's out on the street without a penny to her name. She turns uh, a couple of tricks a night, but they don't pay much, and all the money goes to support her habit. When the winter blows in, she finds herself sleeping on metal grates outside the big department stores. Sleeping is the wrong word. A teenage girl at night in downtown Detroit can never relax her guard. Dark bands circle her eyes. Her cough worsens. One night, she lies awake listening for footsteps, and all of a sudden, everything about her life now looks different. She no longer feels like a woman of the world. She feels like a little girl, lost, and in a cold, frightening city. She begins to whimper. Her pockets are empty, and she's hungry. She needs a fix. She pulls her legs tight underneath her, and shivers under the newspapers that she's piled on top of her to try to keep warm. Something jolts a glimpse of memory, <clears throat> and a single image fills, fills her mind. It's of May in Traverse City when a million cherry trees bloom at once and with her golden retriever dashing through the rows and rows of blooming trees in chase of a tennis ball. God, Why did I leave, she says to herself, and pain stabs at her heart. My dog back home eats better than I do now. She's sobbing, and she knows in a flash more than anything else in the world she wants to be home. Three straight phone calls, three straight connections with the answering machine. She hangs up without leaving a message the first two times, but the third time she says, Dad, Mom, it's me. I was wondering about maybe coming home. I'm catching a bus up your way, and it'll get there about midnight tomorrow. If you're not there, well, I guess I'll stay on the bus until it hits Canada. It takes about seven hours for the bus to make all the stops between Detroit and Traverse City, and during that time, she realizes the flaws in her plan. What if her parents are out of town and miss the message? Shouldn't she have waited another day or so until she could talk to them? And even if they are home, they probably wrote her off as dead long ago. She should have given them some time to overcome the shock. Her thoughts bounce back and forth between these worries and the speech she is preparing for her father. Dad, I'm sorry. I know I was wrong. It's not your fault. It's all mine. Dad, can you forgive me? She says the words over and over, her throat tightening even as she rehearses them. She hasn't apologized to anyone in years. The bus has been driving with lights on since Bay City. Tiny snowflakes hit the pavement, rubbed uh, worn by thousands of tires, and the asphalt steams. She's forgotten how dark it gets at night out here. A deer darts across the road and the bus swerves. Every so often, a billboard, a signposting the mileage to Traverse City. Oh, God, she thinks. When the bus finally rolls into the station, its air brakes hissing in protest, the 
driver announcing in a crackling voice over the microphone, 15 minutes, folks, that's all we have here. 15 minutes to decide her life. She checks herself in a compact mirror, smooths her hair, and licks the lipstick off her teeth. She looks at the tobacco stains on her fingertips and wonders if her parents will notice if they're there. She walks into the terminal not knowing what to expect. Not one of a thousand scenes she's played out in her mind prepare her for what she sees. There in the concrete walls and plastic chairs bus terminal in Traverse City, Michigan, stands a group of 40 brothers and sisters, aunts, uncles, great-aunts, great-uncles and cousins, a grandmother and even a great-grandmother to boot. They're all wearing goofy party hats and blowing noisemakers and taped across the entire wall of the terminal is a computer-generated banner that reads, Welcome Home. Out of the crowd of well-wishers breaks her dad, and she stares out through the tears in her eyes and begins her memorized speech. Dad, I'm sorry. I know. And he interrupts her, and he says, Hush, child. We've got no time for that. No time for apologies. You'll be late for the party. We have a banquet waiting for you at home. Isn't that powerful? I've I've read that story over the last couple of days several times, and I tear up every time. You know why? Because it's such a powerful story of of families' love for their child. But can I tell you something tonight? And this is so true. It is such the word of God that God's love for us pale. That a parent's love, the the love that we would have at most for anybody else, pales in comparison to God's love for you and for me. The most hellish lies from the devil used against us are God doesn't love you or God doesn't care. And I pray tonight that we know and brand it as a lie. Isaiah 43 verse 4 says, Since you were precious, this is God speaking, and I want you to hear it tonight, this is God speaking to us. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored, and I have loved you. There are are five words we should write down and, and memorize and repeat it throughout the day, and that is, I am loved by God. I want you to say it tonight with me. I am loved by God. I pray, God, that every one of us here tonight can hear those words and receive it, not just in our head tonight, but in our heart. We are loved by God. God's love is huge, and it is for everyone, but it must be received. It has to be received. And tonight, if you've never received God's love, I encourage you to receive it. There are are a number of us here tonight that we have been born again. We've asked Jesus to come into our lives. We've received from him. But maybe we've had a hard time 
receiving a full understanding of God's love for us. And tonight, maybe it's because of us looking at who we are and, and wonder how could God really ever love me that deeply, that much? How could he ever be that caring for me? And I declare to you tonight, he is that and much more. I, the words that I could speak or the stories that I could tell or the illustrations that I could give to explain God's love for us are, are so faulting as far as being able to bring a full revelation of God's love. Really, we just have to receive it for ourselves. And tonight I'm going to ask us to do that. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. <clears throat> John chapter 1, verse 12, the Bible says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, as many as received him. And possibly tonight you're here and you've never received his love for yourself. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Or maybe you're like that girl that I told in the story uh, about and maybe you've known his love, and maybe you've walked away from the Father's love, and you've been away for a while. And I want to let you know tonight that he has never, never stopped loving you. And his love is there for you, but we have to receive it for ourselves. There are believers all across this building. And the most important word that you could receive about God's love is how personal it is for you. And not just in general, not just for the world, or not just for everybody, but for you as an individual. See, nobody else, no one else will ever know the questions, the deep questions that we have in our heart, or the, the, the insecurities that we have in our own life. Uh, those that know us closely may know us very well, but they will never know some of those deep things in our heart that only we know and God knows. And I want you to know tonight that God's love can reach right down into the depths of those places and touch and bring not only forgiveness but healing. We must receive, we need to receive God's love for ourselves. If you've never been saved or you've been away from God tonight, and, and you would like to receive that love, receive his forgiveness tonight. No one looking around for a moment. Would you just slip your hand up in acknowledgement of your need before God? Just slip it up where I could see it and know to include you in this prayer tonight. Praise God. Praise God. Maybe you're a believer here tonight, and you, you have an understanding of God's love, but tonight God just wants to get that love so much more deep down inside of you. And I want you to just pray. We're going to all pray together a prayer of forgiveness, but also of receiving of God's love for ourselves. I want you to say it again. I am loved by God. Would you stand to your feet tonight, and let's pray this together. I want us all to just pray this out, out loud. Would you bow your head and just pray this out with me? I'll lead you in prayer. Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I believe you did it for me. And I do receive 
your forgiveness, and I receive your love for me. Thank you for loving me so much. I do receive your revelation of love for me. It will never stop. I thank you for that. I thank you for helping me to get a greater revelation of the power of your love for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give the Lord a clap off and just thank him for that? Thank you, Jesus. Your love is so good. Praise God. Uh, We're going to be talking about uh, several other aspects of love and the next several weeks, next Wednesday night and the Wednesday night following. I just uh, encourage you to come on out uh, those next several weeks. I encourage you to come on out this weekend too, 8.30 in the morning, 10.30 in the morning, those two services. Our prayer team's up here in the front. They'll be uh, here to pray with you if you'd like personal prayer. God bless you. God love you. One more time, I want you to say, I am loved by God. You got it. Amen.